0: We start closer to home with the record high gas prices in B.C. Now, lots of people want to drive across the border to Washington State now for that day trip, drive down, gas up with that cheaper American gas. Lots of drivers are hopping across the border to Point Roberts to fill up right now. Have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Grace Key.
1: At 209.9 cents a liter, the pain at the pump is becoming unbearable.
0: As soon as you can travel freely across the border, I will be filling up there for the foreseeable future. What some might not know, there already is a way for you to travel freely across the border. You can get back into Canada without a COVID pre-entry test through Point Roberts. This is like the best kept secret. We probably don't want to be telling people. Don't tell anybody.
1: it's a special exemption for remote border communities. British Columbians
2: in the know have been traveling south more often since gas prices skyrocketed. So down here, I'm gonna pay 136 bucks for my tank. And in Canada, I'm gonna pay 180, 180, 190 bucks. It's enough to take a drive.
0: Okay. All right. You know, with uh, Biden now banning Russian oil imports, you watch U.S. gas prices expected to go higher, too, as a result of that. All right. Let's discuss now with my guest, Len Saunders. Len is an immigration lawyer based just across the border in Blaine, Washington. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Len. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. A lot of people might not be familiar with that little loophole there, Len. Can you talk a little bit about that Point Roberts deal there, that if you go down to Point Roberts... You, know, you don't have to get that test, negative COVID test, to come back. Is that right?
1: Oh, absolutely. So there's yeah. a special exemption right now just for Porn Roberts. And so it's great for people who live, you know, maybe in Delta or Richmond. It's not so helpful if you live, you know, way up the valley in Chilliwack or Abbotsford. But sure. definitely lots of people are taking advantage of that little exemption to be able to go to Porn Roberts and gas up.
0: Yeah, yeah, you've even got the uh, the head of the chamber of commerce down there, Point Roberts, saying, hey, Come on down. We're not we're not gonna test you. Come on down, buy our gas. Let's have a listen to that. Here's Brian Calder, Point Roberts Chamber of Commerce. Let's listen.
3: People could come down here, double backs, they attend for a, a half an hour or half a month and go back, they have to do a RiveCan, but they don't have to test again. And so that information is not getting out. Okay. Well, I think it's getting
0: out now. I think the cat's out of the bag, the secret's out. And we, we may see more people heading down there today to gas up, Len. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, my
1: feeling is if you can go into the point to gas up, why not into Blaine? Why not? Right. Mass? I took a drive around Blaine this morning on my way to the office. Gas here is just a touch over 4 dollars a gallon. So when you convert that into liters, there's almost 4 liters to the gallon, it's just over a dollar US a liter. Oh, so then wow. you do the exchange rate, it's a buck 35, a buck 40. So you're looking at almost a dollar Canadian a saving per liter. Your average vehicle either has I think 15 gallons or maybe you know 50 liters. So you're looking at a savings of Canadian just for coming over the border. So I can't imagine some of the people up the valley who commute into Vancouver every day, it's easy for them to pop into Sumas. None of the gas stations are busy. They're all back to being dead because of this testing requirement. So I'm sure it's killing a lot of the commuters not being able to pop over and get gas, especially with these huge increases up in Canada right now.
0: Okay, speaking of Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Washington State. So Len, the reason those gas stations are dead right now, as you said, that's because of the test the testing regime is still in place there, right? So let so let's say you did want to do this. I'm I'm gonna pop down and gas up across the border. Then what do you have to do? You've got to go get a COVID test to come back in to Canada, correct? Oh absolutely. Yeah.
1: So they've changed it now from a PCR to a antigen test, but it's still a test. So you're going to have to find a place that tests you. You're then going to have to wait until you get the results back. The logistics make it impossible for the day travelers. So you don't see the the traffic in Blaine. It's interesting because I was in Bellingham Sunday afternoon driving north back up to Blaine, and there was a lot of Canadian cars going north, which surprised me. But I think it's people coming down for the weekend, not just popping down, getting gas, and going back. So people are taking advantage you know, of the border somewhat being reopened for longer trips, but these day yeah. trips just aren't happening.
0: Okay, so you say, let's open the border completely, like, let, let's drop the antigen test requirement. I mean, right now, like, if you go down to Point Roberts, as you heard the official say there, you still got to be vaccinated, so you still have to be double-vaxxed. You still got to figure out this ArriveCAN app on your phone. But, you know, people are willing to jump through those hoops. Most people are vaccinated. They just want to go down and get some cheap gas. Maybe pick up a couple of six-packs of beer, you know. So, do you think that they should do that, drop that test, let people drive across the border in a day trip again?
1: Absolutely. What is the difference between going down to the Point and going down to Blaine or, or Sumas or Linden or even Bellingham? Most of the people in the Point are going back and forth over the border anyway. They're coming over to this side of Whatcom County. So it's not like, in my mind, it's any safer to go to the Point. So once again... The Canadian government has to have a little bit of common sense here. I understand testing people if they're flying in from Asia or flying in from Europe. But, you know, why from the U.S.? Our numbers are down here, just like Canada. I just, I think these restrictions need to come to an end. It's almost been, Mike, two years since the border closed. That anniversary is coming up in a a week and a half. If I told you two years ago the border would be closed for two years, you wouldn't have believed me. Yeah, yeah. Len
0: thanks for coming on today
1: Thanks Mike have a good
0: day uh, Alright welcome back as we continue talking About sky high gas prices In British Columbia Gas prices going up up and away In BC highest ever Check out what Jason Kenney Is doing next door in Alberta Slashing Provincial gas taxes Should BC do the same thing Give people a break Have a listen to Kenny here The Alberta Premier speaking yesterday This relief is based on a sliding scale for oil prices when the price of oil is
4: over $90 that's West Texas Intermediate per barrel the fuel tax will be removed completely when the price of oil is less than $80 per barrel of WTI the fuel tax of 13 cents per liter will be in full effect and that protects alberta's budget it protects our fiscal
0: health as a province because as those oil prices go up so do so too do revenues to the provincial treasury so this is a fiscally responsible measure okay alberta premier jason kenney announcing yesterday he will give drivers in alberta a break at the pump cutting provincial gas taxes by 13 cents a later let's check in with kevin falcon now leader of the bc liberal party pleased to welcome him back kevin thank you for coming on today thanks for having me mike what do you think about what kenny's doing should bc do the same thing
5: well you know bc could be doing the same thing and should be doing the same thing uh, if the ndp hadn't stripped away the revenue neutrality part of the original carbon tax we brought in in 2008 as you recall by law it was required that every penny that was generated by the revenue neutral carbon tax had to be returned to consumers in the form of lower personal income taxes and lower small business taxes, which is why we have the lowest taxes in North America. But what the NDP did on day one when they got into office was strip away that revenue neutrality, and now they take those billions of dollars in revenues, and they take them all into government. And then they spend them and waste them on projects that are way over budget, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, sadly, we had that opportunity. The NDP took it away. I've been very clear. I would return revenue neutrality okay immediately
0: okay well as you know the ndp are saying that's a bunch of hooey and uh the 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 carbon tax under the liberals is not revenue neutral and and what you guys did was just give a bunch of corporate tax giveaways so i know let, let me play a clip of what horgan had to say about this yesterday in question period he was grilled like a hamburger in there yesterday on gas prices And he points the finger back at you. So here is Horgan talking about
4: that revenue neutrality issue. Have a listen, and I'll get your thoughts. An 18-cent increase in a litre of gas is not about taxation. It's about uncertainty in the marketplace. It's about instability as a result of the Russian invasion. The carbon tax was brought in by the former Liberal government, as were low-carbon fuel standards. And I hear revenue neutral. Revenue neutral to them was a $2 billion corporate tax cut. That's what they did.
0: Okay, so he says. <laughs> he says you guys cut corporate taxes, man. That's how you did your revenue neutrality. You get a giveaway to corporations. How do you respond to that?
5: Well, it, it's it's true and it's false at the same time. It's true in the sense that we gave uh, reductions to both personal income taxes, i.e., individuals, and also the small business sector because they should also benefit from this. He knows that. But look, this is never ever been a government that's ever reduced taxes they don't believe in it um you know when we uh, did a 25 percent across the board personal income tax on the first day in government i remember them standing up and opposing it with all the you know the hell and fury that you could possibly muster they just don't believe in returning dollars to consumers and the bottom line is that we are facing the highest gas prices in north america we were before the situation in, in the ukraine started and we still are today And a big part of that is because of the NDP. And remember, this is the same premier that said he would use, quote, every tool in his toolbox to try and stop, frustrate, uh, do everything he could to delay the Trans Mountain Pipeline extension, which is the only pipeline we have from Alberta to the Lower Mainland. Um, I think there's a fundamental problem with the NDP. They don't understand the importance of supply and demand. If you constrict supply like they try to do all the time, you're going to get a lot higher prices, especially when you layer on a lot of taxes and don't give anything back in, in terms okay. of relief to
0: the public. Speaking to BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcons, let me see if I can nail you down a little more specifically on, on precisely what you're saying here. So you're saying that the government should cut gas taxes in BC, or are you saying they should just go back to this revenue neutral thing in the carbon tax, or both? Like what exactly the, the are you calling neutral. for?
5: So the revenue neutral tax was really important because what it was was a tax shift we were not trying to put we were putting additional costs on the price of gas because we wanted to do the right thing from a green environmental point of view and make sure that fossil fuels were being priced appropriately but we didn't want to take that money into government because that would be inappropriate that would just make it a tax grab so the idea was every bit of revenue has to be returned to the public in the form of lower personal income taxes and lower business taxes. Okay, so, so, that, so that our businesses could still compete around the world.
0: Right. So you're saying that's that's what you would do. You'd go back to this revenue neutral model, but you are not you're saying you're not saying you would cut gas like cut gas taxes.
5: Well, it, you know, looking at what um, uh, Alberta's done next door, I yeah. think that's worth a look. To be honest with you. But I would want to make sure that if government was going to do something like that, it would be on a temporary basis to provide a break during a, a, a you know, an international crisis like we're going through right now, with a provision that the gas companies must pass it along. And I so, think we could do
0: that. So you're not saying. So you're saying we should just take a look at it. You're not calling on Horgan to actually do it. You're saying take he should take a look at it.
5: We Is should take right? a hard look at it. But the first thing they should do. Is frankly um, return the billions of dollars that they've taken out of our pockets and and wasted in government, as opposed to returning it back to individuals like they should have done under the revenue neutral carbon tax.
0: Let me play another clip of Horgan here for you, speaking yesterday in question period, and here he is going directly after you on gas prices, and he calls you out here. Then I'll get your thoughts. Here's Horgan yesterday in the legislature.
4: I'm quoting. Uh... Kevin Falcon, when he said, "I don't want to pretend there's any magic solution to fuel price increases uh, that have doubled in the past 12 months," which is what he said in 2008. So uh, the, the magic, the magic in the 50 members, uh, seems to be existing in a party that Kevin Falcon left but has now come back to. Perhaps you can send him a memo and see what his solutions are to this problem, because he didn't have any when we were asking the very same question.
0: Okay. So he's going way back in the files there to 2008. And he said, you said at that time, you don't have any magic wand or magic solution for gas prices. Is that what you said?
5: Yeah, that is what I said. because, And, and it's true. But the key is this. I'm not going to let them off the hook on this. They have literally taken billions of dollars out of the pockets of British Columbians. That was part of a contract we had with the public that said, yes, There's going to be a carbon tax, but all of that will be returned to you in the form of lower personal income taxes and lower small business taxes. They violated that agreement that we had. That's why I would argue why we had public buy-in for the revenue neutral carbon tax. They've taken all that money into government, billions of dollars, and they're not returning it to British Columbians. He cannot dodge and weave against that fundamental fact.
0: Okay, but even even the Fraser Institute, the right wing Fraser Institute, was was dubious about this whole revenue neutrality thing. I mean, they didn't buy it. They didn't. They said the carbon tax was not revenue neutral. Your that's your buddies at the Fraser Institute said that.
2: Well,
5: yeah, they may have, and it's fine for they people did. to be skeptical. But it was written into law, and I, and I can tell you, I'm a former finance minister. I saw exactly where those revenues came in and where they went out, and it was the right thing to do i believe that that is exactly the right thing that kind of a tax shift is how you can change behavior but at the same time make sure that you're also rewarding british Columbians as they come along with you to a new future uh, that is going to involve less fossil fuels
0: let me play one more clip here for you from premier john horgan he's been asked frequently over the last week or so about sky high gas taxes and here was one idea he had uh, was to uh hey, park your car, uh, take transit. Here's what he had to say. I'll get your thoughts.
4: Uh, we're going to look at whatever tools we can to make life more affordable, but I think British Columbians also understand that we have a sophisticated, in our urban centers, sophisticated public transit systems that are options if prices become too unaffordable in the short term. Okay, so we've got a transit
0: system you can rely on if gas prices are too high. Kevin Falcon, your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah,
5: so this is, this is um, a classic. This is such a slap in the face. If you think about... Even my own situation, you know, where we've got kids that go to soccer and, and uh, a lot of the mums and dads, we take turns picking up the different kids, driving them to the practices, bringing them back. Their, buses aren't a realistic option in a situation like that. You've got Surrey mums that have kids that ha- also have groceries to pick up and dads that, you know, frankly, taking the bus with three or four bags of groceries while trying to bring your kids along in tow, it's just completely unrealistic. Uh, you know, I heard... Uh, one of their mouthpieces, Mo Sahota on the radio saying, well, people should just be buying you know, electric vehicles. These are like eighty to $120,000 cars. I mean, I'm not sure what world they're living in. But we have to live in the real world where people right. use their trucks to get and vehicles to get to work and back. They often use them for work. They're driving their kids to soccer practice and to school, et cetera. That's not an option to say take the bus. And I just think it, it shows how disconnected they are from, from real everyday folks. Thanks for coming
0: on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the record profits now at ICBC. What an incredible turnaround at the Provincial Auto Insurance Company. It has gone from a fiscal dumpster fire, as David Eby famously described it, to a profit-making machine. Have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Richard Zussman. It's a dumpster fire at ICBC that has seemingly been put out.
5: We made it clear that we wanted to put ICBC on a new track through enhanced care, which meant lower rates and care for as long as you need it.
0: Over the past few years, things have financially been all over the road for the public insurer. In 2018-19, the bottom line totaled with a loss of $1.15 billion, improving to a $376 million loss in 2019-20 changes to no fault in a pandemic getting things back on track in 2020 1.54 billion in profits of which 900 million was given back in rebates now there's a 1.9 billion dollar profit
3: through three quarters of this year
0: okay from losing money hand over fist to profits of billions of dollars now What should happen to that money? Should it go into ICBC's financial reserves or should BC drivers get a cut of these profits now with a rebate? Let's discuss it now with my guest, Richard McCandless. Richard is a retired BC government policy manager, former assistant deputy minister. He is an expert on the finances at ICBC, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Richard, thanks a lot for coming on.
3: Good to be with you, Mike.
0: Okay, Richard, when people hear these numbers, these profits, these mega profits being turned over at ICBC right now, how did they do that? How did this happen?
3: Well, you've got to remember that uh, the previous year, they also had a significant profit. Uh, uh, and the main reason is the moving away from the tort liability model and moving to, initially for two years, what I call hybrid tort, where they, if you recall, they put a cap on minor injury claims for uh, pain and suffering. And then that was replaced this last May with the full no-fault model uh, where people basically, there's a few exceptions, but they can't claim for pain and suffering at all. And that's mirroring what's happening in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Quebec, uh, full full no-fault. And that's the main reason that ICBC has been able to reduce their costs and reduce their premiums. And then secondly, as Keith Baldry said earlier, just to, uh, thank him for his comments, um, they've had a very good run this year uh, with their um, investments because uh, the financial markets were were very good this year, a major rebound. So that's also reflected in the numbers.
0: Yeah, it was a bull stock market there last year, so ICBC did well on their uh, portfolio. Uh, yeah. maybe not going to be doing so much recently with some of the turmoil we're seeing in the stock markets right now, but they certainly made a lot of money. So, man, those are some huge profits, billions and billions of dollars yeah. in profits. Where does that money go now? What is ICBC going to do with all those profits?
3: Well, it, it falls down in their bottom line to, to their equity, and uh, most of their equity uh, is considered a capital available when they, when they do the calculations for how much capital do they need Um, before they start giving it back. And uh, I reworked the numbers because our friends at ICBC don't bother putting that information out in their reports, which is unfortunate. But it's kind of the the norm at ICBC. They're very reluctant to to be open and transparent. So I had to make some what I call heroic assumptions about the numbers based on their history, the history that, that they've already filed. And I did my own projections which uh, indicate that um, if they use the same model that Manitoba is using in terms of determining how much capital is required to be in reserve, um, they would have significant surplus this year and even more next year.
0: So they could afford to give people a a rebate then?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, if we use the Manitoba uh, numbers. um, and I don't want to get into a bunch of detail, but it's called the minimum capital test, and in Manitoba... They use 100%. It's a weighted ratio. They use 100% for their compulsory insurance, the basic insurance, and they use 200% for their optional insurance. And here in the past, we used 145 for basic and 260 for optional, which are far too high, especially now that we're with no fault. uh, The the volatility is much less with no fault.
0: Oh, good point. Okay.
3: Let me play a couple
0: of clips here for you, Richard, and get your thoughts. Now, we're going to hear here first from Nicholas Jimenez, who is the president of ICBC, and he was asked, okay, you're racking up all these massive profits. Where is that money going to go? Here's what he had to say.
6: The profits are going to be directed to capital. Capital is really important because essentially it provides a backstop to insurers in the event that something goes really wrong.
0: Okay. So he says it's going into capital reserves. And are, is an insurance company, like a big insurance company like ICBC, are they legally required to keep a lot of money kind of socked away just in case?
3: Yes. the, the uh, Let's call them for-profit or investor uh, insurance companies, and Intact Financial is the biggest in Canada for auto insurance, and uh, they're required under the federal regulator to, to maintain a, a certain amount of capital. And in fact, they generally maintain even more than, than the minimum requirement. Right, um, crown corporations like Saskatchewan, Matto and BC—they don't fall under the federal regulation. But all of those provinces have used the same formula. And instead of um, the minimum, the federal minimum for privates in, or in competition with each other is 150 percent. We use 100 uh, percent as a minimum for for these monopoly crowns. There is no competition, so yeah. so 100 percent is uh, more than the adequate. In terms of uh, Manitoba and B.C., there was a regulation uh, by the provincial government in 2003 uh, at 100% for basic and 200 for optional. But that was suspended a few years back when, <laughs> when they were heading to negative equity. They were insolvent
0: yeah, right. for a couple
3: <laughs> of years. And so Amazing. they suspended that regulation so that uh, they wouldn't be operating illegally. Okay, um,
0: but okay. I'm speaking yeah. to, speaking to Richard McCandless he's an expert on the finances at ICBC. So Richard I guess this gets down to now we could talk about sort of a political decision in in front of government and ICBC I guess is you've racked up these massive profits we understand that you have to have capital reserves but come on how about giving back a little bit to the drivers here. Now have a listen to this this is liberal leader Kevin Falken, he was a guest of mine in the show earlier today. Now he's saying he knows where these premiums should should go. Have a listen. People that are paying uh, their insurance should get the benefit of any excess
5: uh, premiums uh, returned to them.
0: Yeah, so he's saying that ICBC customers, BC drivers should get a rebate check here, share some of these profits back with the drivers. If they did decide to do that, Richard, how much... How much do you think ICBC could afford to give back to drivers in in the form of a rebate?
3: Yeah, in my paper a couple of days ago, I I did my crude calculation and said about one hundred and twenty five dollars on average per policy. Now that that's just a provincial average. Uh, the amounts will be slightly different because uh, private vehicle insurance is slightly less than commercial. Commercial pays more. So taxi drivers and, and truckers would, would probably get a slightly higher um, amount and privates would be slightly lower, but the average would be about $125 this year.
0: Okay, 125 bucks this year, and could they cut another rebate check potentially for drivers next year?
3: Probably, uh, depending yeah. on what happens with, uh, again, the financial markets. Um, but as things are forecasted by ICBC, in their three-year service plan, there would be uh, still money available next year to go back to either reduce rates or give a rebate.
0: Richard, thank you for your expertise on it today. I appreciate it.
3: Ah, Good to be with you. Thanks.
0: All right. Here we go now with the great debate. It's Russian oil versus Alberta oil. Is it time to ramp up Canadian oil production, build more pipelines? Hit Vladimir Putin right where it hurts. Replace Russian oil with Canadian oil. We've got a great panel standing by on this to talk about it. Both sides of it for you. First, have a listen to this report from Global News reporter Abigail Beeman. You're going to hear UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson on this point. Also, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Have a listen to this. Russian oil and gas top of mind in Europe as leaders figure out whether it's possible to turn off the taps. Canada promised a ban but has only imported negligible amounts of crude from Russia in recent years. We're going to have to look for supply, we're going to have to look for substitute uh, supplies uh, from elsewhere. Asked whether Canada will send oil Europe's way, Justin Trudeau was vague.
7: We will be there to support as the world moves beyond Russian oil and indeed,
0: beyond fossil fuels okay so you hear boris johnson there saying they've got to find a substitute here for russian oil could canada step into the breach here ramp up canadian oil production and exports let's discuss it now with our panel keith stewart is on the line keith is a climate and energy campaigner with greenpeace canada hi keith Hey, thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks a lot for coming on. Also on the line, Cody Battershill. Cody is the founder of Canada Action. It's an advocacy group for Canada's natural resources, including oil and gas. Hi, Cody.
7: Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me and Keith on today.
0: Okay. Thank you guys. Both of you being here. Cody, let me go to you first. We've got Justin Trudeau in Europe here this week signaling that Canada could help out our European partners here with, uh, or he seemed to suggest that maybe Canadian oil would be in the mix. He also talked about renewables, though, or getting beyond fossil fuels. Give me your take on this situation right now in the face of this war. We see the United States today banning Russian oil imports. Should Canada step up oil production here to fill the gap?
7: Yes, absolutely. The head of the International Energy Agency has said that the world will be using oil and gas for years and years to come. And he would prefer that that oil and gas is coming from countries like Canada who are focused on reducing emissions and leading on the climate. We are going to need all energy sources. And let me just say, I'm pro-renewables. I'm pro-wind. I'm pro solar i'm pro reducing emissions i'm also pro canada's record of climate leadership in responsible oil and gas production and i'm pro reality and that means we're going to need all these energy supplies and we should be talking about made in canada solutions both for climate both for environment and for energy security for our partners and allies around the world this echoes what elon musk is saying this echoes what boris johnson is saying president biden our leadership in Canada, we're going to need all of the above, and we need to have an honest conversation
0: about that. Okay, let's get uh, Keith Stewart's perspective on it. Keith Stewart from Greenpeace. Keith, your thoughts?
6: Hey, so if you want to hit Vladimir Putin and other petro-states where it hurts, the way you do that is reducing the demand for oil. And this is actually, like, if you look at what the plan that came out this morning from the European Union, if you actually look at what President Biden has been saying, and what we just heard Prime Minister Trudeau say, we need to move off of oil. We know that's not gonna to happen tomorrow, but we also know that we can rapidly reduce. So the Europeans are looking at by the end of this year, cutting their use of Russian gas by two thirds and getting rid of it within a few years. That's the kind of time frame that you can't build new pipelines, oil infrastructure in that time frame. We can, however, dramatically reduce production. And the truth is Canadian oil production U.S. oil production and exports are higher than they've ever been. You don't undermine petrostates by thinking, oh, we can, you know, flood the market ahead of them. They have lots of oil, too. The way you actually remove the power of petrostates is by removing our dependence on fossil fuels. Not going to happen tomorrow, but we can start now. And that's actually what the European Union is looking to do to keep, you know, Vladimir Putin from having them over a barrel.
0: Okay, so Keith, so you would therefore argue the opposite then. Instead of ramping up even more Canadian oil production to replace Russian oil, you're saying that we should, what, be scaling back oil production in Canada? Am I hearing you correctly there?
6: So in the short term, even so, the, if you look at what is on the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers website, you know, they have an opinion piece up from March 4th, four days ago, and they ask, you know, can Canada assist with the energy supply to Europe? Quote, the unfortunate truth is that we can't. So I think we have to be looking at how can we help. Again, coming out of the Biden administration, one of the things they're talking about is a, a heat pumps for Europe program where they actually use the Department of Defense contracting purposes for emergency purposes to start massively producing heat pumps, which you can replace a gas-fired burner with an okay. electric heat pump. To okay. send those to Europe. That's the kind of thing Canada should Wait, be getting in on. Cody will go ahead.
7: Keith has been saying the same thing for a decade. I mean, undermining Canadian pipelines has meant Canada is not able to compete on the global stage. We had 18 LNG projects uh, planned in 2011. Today, there's one under construction. We cannot get our clean, lowest emission natural gas to the world because, in part, pipeline opposition. We need to reduce polarization and have an honest conversation. You cannot make a heat pump without resources that are mined. You can't make wind and solar... Panels and projects without fossil fuels and mining, this is a much more complex conversation than just saying heat pumps is the solution. It's not. It's, it's, it's one part of the solution, but we're going to need oil and gas for a long time. And Canada absolutely needs to start thinking strategically. If we had built Energy East, Canada would be using more of its own oil. We'd also be able to export that oil and also with some of these LNG projects recently cancelled in Quebec and in Nova Scotia, to our allies and partners in the European Union today, the Ukrainian leadership is begging to get off of Russian oil and gas. They're begging the world to sanction their oil and gas, but the, Germany and the and European Union can't. And what is Germany doing? They've been investing in renewables for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Now they're turning their coal plants back on and restarting nuclear. We need to get away from this polarized. Okay Uh, a silly discussion Uh, that's that's anti-Canadian energy. We need all of the above.
0: Keith Stewart, your thoughts. Go ahead.
6: So the truth is Canadian oil exports are higher than they've ever been. Yes, we think we should be moving off of fossil fuels. If you look at the intergovernmental Panel climate change report that came out last week talking about how we desperately need to accelerate the transition off of fossil fuels to have a livable future, if you want a more peaceful world, you need to get off oil. If you want a world that isn't suffering from massive flooding, the wildfires that you guys have seen in B.C., we need to get off the fossil fuels. We can actually kill those two birds with one stone. And this is actually practical in a way that, you know, 20 years ago it would have been much harder. Now, wind and solar are cheaper than natural gas for electricity production. We can make this transition. And, you know, this, you say, like, oh, he's from Greenpeace. I urge you to go to the European Commission webpage, look at their plan. These are not, you know, wild-eyed, starry-eyed dreamers. Um, and I do think this is the kind of thing, Canada can be a part of that solution. I will, you know, always, I always do when I'm talking to you <laughs> folks okay. in Vancouver. Greenpeace was started 50 years ago in Vancouver by a bunch of peace activists. Yeah,
0: very true. Okay, nice, so here's what we'll do. Want, Hang, okay,
6: Cody, real quick, real quick. If you go want ahead.
7: more peace in the world, you need more Canadian energy. We need to stop undermining local infrastructure, And we need to think about all of the above when it comes to energy demand in 10, 20, 30 years from now.
0: Welcome back to the show as we continue debating Russian oil versus Alberta oil with my guest, Keith Stewart from Greenpeace, Cody Battershill, Canada action. Lots of calls on the open line. Dee in Vancouver. Hi, Dee, go ahead.
2: Hi there. Uh, I just wanted to call in just to express my opinion on this. Uh, I think everyone's right in this situation. And I just, uh, I, uh, am an environmental scientist. I actually work in the construction industry. I've worked on everything from wind farms to pipeline projects to drinking water dams to uh, your everyday infrastructure. And I think what Cody's saying, just isn't necessarily being heard. I think, uh, the timeline, uh, that Keith has in mind is, might be a little rush. Like, yes, that is ideal. But one thing that really resonated with me that Cody said is that he is a realist. And, uh, I feel I'm the same and I have a pretty in-depth knowledge, of, obviously, in a world that, uh, you know, would be great thank if we could just flip the switch and turn it off. But realistically, even what's your clothing made out of, what's what's plastic made out of, oil and gas isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, you need to have a sustainable option and diversity. Anyway, sorry.
0: Dee, thank you very much for, the, for a really good call. I appreciate it. Keith, what do you say to that? Like, it often gets down to this how quickly can we transition like a lot of people say you can't flip a switch over uh, and get off oil and gas overnight but your thoughts
6: no you're correct right we're not going to get off over oil and gas overnight and if you look at the international energy agency they say you know if you look at their you know how do we achieve the paris climate agreement targets plan uh they're saying oh yeah we'll still be using you know we'll oil demand will drop 76 percent over the neck by 2050. There'll still be some oil and gas, largely not being burned, but being used for other purposes. We probably will invent things that can sort of replace those in the meantime, I suspect. But this is about whether or not we're on a growth trajectory. And what we're saying is by pouring the billions of dollars, you know, like look at Transbound, $21.4 billion to build it. It's under construction. Um, And if you put $21.4 billion into eliminating the need, for, like replacing the need for oil with sort of other energy and through energy efficiency, you know, you could probably get a lot more actual energy. And that's actually, this is like the, the, the bean counters at the EU. If you look at the stuff coming out of the Biden administration, they're saying, actually, you know, this is the better investment here. Okay. Um, this wasn't true, you know, 10, 20 years ago. It is now. I mean, I, I would say it was always true in terms of like the big picture sense, but in terms of like, you know, the narrow cost benefit, it wasn't. Now yeah. it is. Cody, what do you say to that?
7: Well, first and foremost, we've got a Canadian Ukrainian solar developer who's got a ton, a bunch of projects in Ukraine, calling for more oil and gas from Canada. Also, one of Canada's largest, Alberta's largest oil and uh, solar and wind developers, also uh, has been talking about his support for Trans Mountain because of the real, the reality, the realistic approach. And to be honest, while Keith and Greenpeace have been blocking Canadian pipelines that could have exported our responsibly produced energy to Europe, oil and natural gas demand have increased massively, and other countries like Russia have benefited. That's the reality, and I would love it if Keith had any explanation for why we've never seen similar protests against oil and refined product tankers from Russia, from other countries that do not share our leadership for protecting people the climate, and the planet. It is incredibly concerning to me, this polarization and the fear-mongering. Trans Mountain has enormous Indigenous support. We need to get our responsibly produced resources to Asia, to Europe, to the entire world. That benefits people and the planet, full stop.
6: Keith, do you want to respond to that before we go to another call? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So, first of all, I just want to be clear that one of the things Cody just said is, is untrue. You know, I keep hearing from Cody in particular, but from others saying, oh, Greenpeace doesn't protest oil anywhere else. That's not true. I mean, we had, you know, our German I office meeting a, a, a Russian tanker yesterday.
3: Canada. We've had
6: people arrested in countries around the world. My colleagues who work in places like Russia, like China, in Africa, these people are taking enormous risks to carry through on their beliefs. And they are trying to change policy in their country the way Greenpeace Canada tries to change policy in Canada.
0: Okay, let's go back to the phone lines. Alan on the line in and to Go ahead, Alan.
3: I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I purchased two uh, hybrid vehicles. I've cut my gas consumption by at least 50% immediately. Hybrid cars are a good answer to strike a blow immediately. Electric cars, we know all the problems with electric cars. We don't have the capacity, yada, 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 and they're pricey. Why are we not putting more emphasis behind hybrid vehicles?
0: Okay, Keith...
6: Keith, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is the kind of thing, much tougher vehicle fuel efficiency standards are things which, like, promote the car companies to go to hybrids, to go to electric vehicles. Hybrids are a good interim step. Ultimately, we want to get to electric vehicles powered from renewable energy. We need better public transit systems so people can get around. Um, You know, these are all parts of the solution. And I think, like, you know, hybrid cars are... One of those technologies here now, but so actually are electric vehicles. And I think, oh. you know, the fact that Canada and a bunch of other places are saying we're going to stop, you know, we're phasing out fe- selling gasoline-powered vehicles is a good thing because it's also sending that signal to industry: is you need to invest in the alternatives into prov- servicing that market. Right. Let's
0: go back to the phone lines. Keith on the line in Surrey. Hi, Keith. Go ahead.
7: First of all, I'd like to say that you can't really include environmental stewardship and oil and gas in the same conversation because they are definitely a polarized thing. If you take a look at what happened in COP26, if you calculated uh, representation by numbers of people. The oil and gas sector was the largest delegation at COP26, which is supposed to be talking about the future of the environment. And then when you look at what the infrastructure piece is, the second industrial revolution for oil and gas and fossil fuel extraction, that created a lot of war and a lot of centralized energy sources. The third industrial revolution infrastructure is going to be distributed, it's going to be renewable, okay. and it's going to have a lot more equity.
0: Thanks for the, thanks for the call. We're just running out of time. And in the interest of that, we just got one minute left. So I'm going to give both of our panelists 30 seconds each here to sum up. Cody, go ahead if you want to respond to that and make a make a summary thought here in 30 seconds.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Greenpeace Canada is not opposing oil and gas imports coming into Canada. Keith thinks we Keith is saying we can all just go wind and solar today, but he's ignoring the reality of substitution. Greenpeace has not blocked energy infrastructure pipelines anywhere else in the world like they have in Canada. They brag about all of the projects they've cancelled. We need an all-of-the-above strategy, pro-wind, pro-solar,
0: pro-Canadian okay. oil and gas. Keith Keith, the Stewart Gre- the world today. Keith Stewart from Greenpeace. Go ahead, Keith.
6: So war is a terrible thing, and I think part of what I actually want to get in is make sure that we acknowledge the terrible things that are happening in Europe right now, and oil is fueling this. It's part of that. It's much bigger than just oil, but that's part of it. By focusing on these solutions, you know, by when we talk about building something new, if we make sure that that is that renewable, clean energy system, we're going to make the world a safer place, we're going to make it a place safe for our kids, and we're going to reduce these types of conflicts.